Good morning, Mount Horeb. Well, listen, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and I'm so thankful to be on stage with you this morning, be able to open the Bible together. Here's the good news today. At least 2020 is over, right? Yeah. And then 2021 happened. And what it has shown me, like, very, very quickly, and I believe maybe even very painfully, is that real change, real transformation is not as easy as just changing the page on the calendar. It's not as easy as just electing a new official. It really comes down to a work that I believe God wants to do in in each and every one of our lives individually. Because when God does a work in our lives individually, it has a way of impacting our family, has a way of impacting our city, our state, our country, our world. And so I'll be very honest with you. I have felt the weight of this message this week like crazy. It's been heavy on my heart for a lot of reasons. The current situation we find ourselves in with our country and our, and our world, but also individuals who I know and who I care about and who I love, this message has really weighed on me. It's been a bit of a burden. I believe so strongly that God wants to speak today into the brokenness of our life. My prayer would be that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear from him today. You see, the past year, I believe, has exposed a lot of dysfunction, a lot of brokenness, a lot of need that probably didn't start in 2020, but it was definitely accentuated by 2020, brought uh, to the surface by 2020. There are many statistics from the past year that have shown us very clearly the circumstances that we now find ourselves in. One of them, one statistic that I found very troubling is that our marriages have been taxed like never before. Our marriages are in crisis. You see, a lot of these marriages, they had pre-existing conditions, but COVID-19 in the past year killed them. Statistically, One in every two, 50% of marriages end in divorce or separation. That is not a good statistic. And you would think, well, maybe not in Christian marriages. It's actually not that different. One in every two marriages end in separation or divorce. The rate of depression and anxiety has skyrocketed in the past year. People who struggle in their own minds with uh, defeat and, and, and anxiety And in a world that's dominated by social distancing, lockdowns, and masks, that definitely helps things. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But one in every six adults statistically will experience depression and anxiety within their lifetime. One out of every six. This past year has seen the crimes that are driven by hate at a 10-year high in 2020. We've seen our, our... our financial situation more unhealthy than ever. The average family in the United States of America has $6,200 total on a credit card. The problem is the average family has four different credit cards. We find ourselves statistically in a very difficult place. And here's what I feel so burdened about. These statistics are not just statistics. They're people. They're families with names and faces. And there's a very good chance that some of us in here this morning, we actually identify with these statistics because we're part of them. And I want to be very clear with you today, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, I want to be very clear that Jesus did not live, die, and resurrect from the dead so you could be a statistic. That was never his goal. He lived, he died, he resurrected that you might experience fullness of life. That is what I'm burdened about. That is what I've been praying for all week long. I believe this series is going to speak to that in a way that hopefully will bring change. You see, no one sets out in their life to have a failed marriage. That's never the goal. Like nobody sets out to feel stuck in their heads and wrestle daily with feelings of despair. That's not the goal. 
No one sets out with New Year resolutions to spend their monthly income on compounding interest. That's not a goal. No one says, man, I hope I could just hate someone enough that I want to hurt them. It happens along and along. It's a death by a thousand paper cuts. It happens with small decisions here and small decisions there. And then one day we wake up and we are surprised by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I would argue that for years, some of the things and decisions that we've been making, now we've seen them come to fruition. Today, I want to take out the element of surprise for us. I want to remove the element of chance for us. I want every single one of us in the room today to be able to beat the odds, the statistics that exist right now, so that it's not a gamble for how your life is going to end up. It's not a rolling of the dice on how things may end up because life is not stacked in our favor. Can we all agree on that? Life is not stacked in our favor, so we must be very mindful and very careful or else we run the risk of losing it all. My family's favorite place to vacation in South Carolina is in Myrtle Beach at Pirate Land. Anybody else campers in the room? Thank two of you. Um, we go every single year. We take our camper, we go to Pirate Land, and when you go to Pirate Land, literally, there are campers as far as the eye can see. They're everywhere. So we pull our camper in. We're usually there for a couple days to enjoy the beach and enjoy the fun and everything. And at Pirate Land, there's this arcade at the front of the entrance that you first come in. And it's one of my boys' favorite places to go and spend time. And so a couple years ago, we had gone to Pirate Land. One of the first times we really had ever gone into the arcade and spent time in there because they have ice cream. So I was like, we'll give it a shot. So we went in there and I went in there with Eli, my oldest son, and he had $5 and quarters in a bag with him. And he was so excited because there was all these quarter machine games that you could play all throughout it. So he's running around playing games and stuff. And we noticed in the corner of the room, there was this one game that had a glass front. You may have seen one of these before. And there was quarters all over the bottom. And there was a bumper going back and forth, back and forth. And if you dropped a quarter in, that quarter would fall. The bumper would hit it and bring it forward and knock other quarters off so you could get them. So I'm like, Eli, we should play. He's like, okay. So we walk over there. And so sure enough, he takes a couple quarters. And, he, and within 75 cents of quarters, he, he had won $2. So as a very responsible father, I said to him, son, do you have any more quarters? He said, I do. I said, great. So we kept putting quarters in and quarters in. And, and I, I, I know these machines and why they exist. They don't exist to give you money, but things were going so well. So we kept putting quarters in and quarters in. And, and sure enough, within a few minutes, my son had gone from $5 in quarters to $18 in quarters. It was like quarters everywhere. And I was excited. And he was super excited. So again, as a responsible father, I said to him, son, you're doing very well right now. I would advise that we walk away. I think it's time that we be done. Uh, the odds are not good that if we continue to play, that you'll continue to win. I think we're done. But Eli could not stop. So sure enough, within about five more minutes, quarter after quarter, all $18 in quarters were gone. Not just the ones that he had won, but the five he originally started out with. He was incredibly bummed. So was I. And we left the arcade with empty pockets and a little bit of regret. I think... What I've just described with Eli and I in the arcade is actually, if I'm honest, some of the ways that we choose to live our lives. You see, a lot of us in the room, if we're very, very honest, we, we like to gamble with our lives. We make decisions without a whole lot of thought. We make decisions without really wondering what might happen in the future. No, only with concerns for the immediate, not the consequences that may come. And oftentimes we live with this kind of, uh, we'll see what happens mentality. 
You see, I believe that with all that is in me, that if you and I and we are going to beat the odds, it's going to have to start right here. Paying close attention to the choices that we are making now that have future implications. And I know that everybody in the room right now, we're like, yes, yes, that is so true. We can't deny it. But when we get into the busyness of life and the day by day, too often we find ourselves forgetting that fact. We just make decisions without really thinking about what they really mean. So here's what I would argue this morning. A life lived without concern is a life that should be concerned. A life lived without concern is a life that should be concerned. Now, maybe I'm a little bit amped up this morning because I've done 14 years of youth ministry. So I've watched students make foolish choices and bad decisions. I've sat across the table from many students over lunch being like, listen, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And oftentimes they're like, I don't know. But as I've gotten into uh, working with older individuals, more seasoned individuals, what I've found is the same thing is true. Why are you making the decision that you're making? Have you not thought about what this might mean within the future? And oftentimes, we have not. A life lived without concern is a life that should be concerned. I believe there's multiple reasons why we live this way. I think there's multiple reasons why we gamble with our life, why we roll the dice, why we hope the odds are in our favor when sometimes they're not. And I think the first reason is this. Sometimes we're just simply unable to see past the end of our nose. We only think about ourselves. We only think about the things that we want without concern of what it might mean for someone else around us. I think for sometimes the reason we make these decisions is because we have given into a fatalistic mindset. Things are just how they are. Like nothing's ever gonna change. This is my lot in life. I'm just unlucky. And sometimes I believe it's because we refuse to live under any kind of authority within our life. We would rather live reckless lives than have someone tell us how to live. And oftentimes we're surprised in the place that we find ourselves. We should have a level of concern for ourselves, a level of concern for others when we gamble with our future. Here's what I want to say today. Within the scriptures, I believe this concept is wrestled with often. I would argue the entire Bible is really focused around this one concept with how we choose to live our lives, who we bow to, who is the authority. Some people, I believe when they think about this, they don't think about it in a way where it really helps to make better decisions. But the Jewish people within scriptures thought about this often. They wrestled with it a lot. And I think it's because the Jewish people recognized the sanctity of life the deep need to steward the gift of life as much as they possibly could. And so they had what were God-given and time-tested principles that they called wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. Wisdom. You see, wisdom is knowledge applied. See, a lot of us, we have a lot of knowledge. We know what's right. We know what's true. But it doesn't become wisdom until we actually apply it to our life. And it makes a difference in the way that we live. The Jewish people did. And these, these pieces of, of wisdom, these principles, they help navigate them in their life no matter what it threw at them. It helped them experience the fullest life possible. We see this wisdom in, all throughout the Old Testament in wisdom literature, oddly enough. But one particular book called the book of Proverbs is chock full of wisdom. But there's one verse in the book of Proverbs that encapsulates the entire thing in chapter 1, verse 7. And here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge... But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. This is where the whole thing begins. So here's my question. How do you navigate a global pandemic? How do you navigate political unrest? How do you navigate racial injustice? How do you navigate infidelity in your marriage? How do you navigate peer pressure? How do you navigate mounting debt? How do you navigate bitterness and anger in your heart? How do you navigate, navigate broken dreams? I don't know sometimes. I have to have wisdom. How do you ensure that you don't find yourself a statistic? How do you make sure that you beat the odds? I believe it begins right here, as the writer says in chapter 1, verse 7. It's the beginning of wisdom, this fear of the Lord. Now, I want to be clear. Oftentimes, we think about fearing God. We think about cowering before him, shaking in our boots. This is not what the author is trying to communicate. More accurately, it's about a reverence. It's a fully... It's fully understanding who we are before God and who he is before us. That he is all powerful. We are not. That he is God and we are not. And we live in fear of God. It helps us make wiser decisions to choose the right thing. It literally means that we do act or we do speak or we don't act and we don't speak based upon our fear of God. This is wisdom. And many in the room this morning, we could leave just on that. Maybe if you're honest, you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe you would even say you're a Christian. But when it comes down to it, your decisions don't reflect the fact that you have reverence for God. That you realize that he can do anything. And we, in the end, can do nothing. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So this wisdom that the Jewish people speak about, it was not a list of guarantees. I want to be clear on this. They didn't believe that if you did these things, then automatically good things would come. It wasn't an A plus B equals C kind of formula. They didn't think about it with a Western mind. They thought about it differently. And so in life, there is no guarantees. And I wish there were. Like, I wish I could sit here before you and say, listen, if you, if you treat your spouse with love, kindness, and patience, they won't leave you for someone else. I wish I could guarantee that, but that's, that's not the case. I would love to be able to say to you, if you live a life of generosity, your business will thrive. I can't promise that. I would love to be able to say to you, if you steer clear of debt, then you won't struggle pay to, paycheck to paycheck. Then I can't guarantee that. This wisdom, these principles from God were not guarantees, but instead these principles, when we live them out in fear of God, we significantly increase the odds of having a life that is full and that makes a difference. Do you hear me? If we live them out, we significantly increase the odds of being able to live the full life before God. So over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack from Scripture multiple different principles that I believe, if we apply them to our life, it'll change the way that we live. It'll change the odds within our life so we do not become a part of statistics. We're not uh, living in a way, way that potentially the world does around us. So the first principle comes from an agrarian society. The ancient Near East was an agrarian society. Most of them were farmers. They were well acquainted with the dirt and with the land, how to steward vegetables and fruit and livestock. As you might assume, then, the scriptures are full of all kinds of agricultural language. They were trying to instill in people's hearts the truth about God and the kingdom of heaven, and so they would use this language that everyone would be familiar with. Unfortunately, for a people who oftentimes go to Bilo or Publix to be able to get as close to the dirt as possible, sometimes we get lost on some of these things. So I want to bring them to light today. The first principle that I want to look at today is the principle of sowing and reaping. Everyone say that with me. Sowing and reaping. 
sowing and reaping. Paul brings this principle to light in a discussion that he's having with the early church in Galatia. Here's what he says to them. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, or a woman reaps what she sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the right and proper time we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Paul says, don't miss this. Whatever a man sows is what he will reap. Whatever a woman sows is what she will reap. If you sow into the spirit, you'll receive spiritual things. If you sow into the flesh, you'll receive fleshly things. There's an immediate context here and there's a greater context to what Paul is saying. The immediate context that Paul is speaking to is that the Galatian church, he wants them to be clear that some of the ways they were using their resources were much more temporal as opposed to eternal. They were using a lot of their resources for things that were in the end were just gonna rot and fall away and mean nothing. And Paul says, don't do that. Make sure you spend your resources more wisely so to things that are spirit, that have eternal benefit. Things that are gonna make a difference in the lives of people. And I just wanna take a moment and just say that over this past year, I have seen a people called Mount Horeb who have been so generous to sow into spirit and not into the temporal. And I believe we have seen the benefit of that by the impact in the lives of people around us. This is what Paul's getting at in the immediate context. Be careful where you sow because as you sow, that is where you reap. But there's a greater context to what he's saying as well. But he says, do not grow weary of doing good, church. Listen, let's be honest about it. Our, our world is a very dark place right now. And maybe for some people in the room today, like you, you feel that, as Chad said earlier, you carry that around. But we cannot grow weary of doing good. We cannot grow weary of continuing to sow into spirit. We cannot grow weary of continuing to sow into good things because Paul says this, one day there is a harvest coming. We will reap from what we are sowing. So don't sow into power today. Don't sow into hate today. Sow into sacrifice. That's what changes the world. There's a reason that Jesus didn't come as some kind of political figure, but he came as a sacrificial savior because that's what he's gonna reap in the end. That's the harvest. So Paul says to his listeners and his readers, our choices are like farming. Sowing and reaping, our choices are like farming. I grew up in Indiana on a farm uh, for a lot of my life. And for 11 years of my life when I was a kid, my family had a strawberry patch, uh, very creatively named Miller Strawberry Patch. And people would come from all over kind of our county and they would pick strawberries in, in the patch that we had planted and the, the strawberries that had grown. And so um, for 11 years, we did this. Every summer, my cousins and I, we would spend weeks out in the patch every single day, weighing strawberries, picking strawberries, selling strawberries. And then we would get paid like 75 bucks at the end of the summer. It was a total ripoff. But we did it every single year. And we had this strawberry patch. It was, it was multiple acres, very big. We had a little golf cart. We'd drive around, take people out there, bring stuff back. And we would kill snakes when they were out so people didn't freak out. Like it was just kind of a part of our life. And I remember when we would plant these plants, for a long time, they were just these green leaves just kind of sitting in the dirt out there. And eventually in the spring, they would, they would blossom, beautiful blossoms. They eventually become green strawberries and eventually juicy red strawberries that were ripe for the picking. There was a process to it. You see, when we, when we planted strawberries, we knew what we were gonna get in the end. We were gonna get strawberries. We didn't have a blueberry patch. We had a strawberry patch. 
and we knew that what we sow was what we were going to reap. We should not be surprised when we gamble with our life, when we make choices like rolling dice, when we live for the immediate and the things that happen because of it. Because whatever we've sown is the thing that we're going to harvest. Paul, again, using this agricultural kind of language, farmers in the ancient Near East, when they were going to farm, they would literally have a bag of seed. They would put their hand into that seed and they would throw it as far as they could. They would broadcast seed everywhere to land on all kinds of dirt, all kinds of soil. And the whole goal was that every single seed that landed, water would fall, the sun would come out, that seed would grow into a plant that one day would be harvested by that particular farmer. And the farmer knew, if I sow wheat, I'm going to reap wheat. If I sow rye, I'm going to reap rye. Whatever you put into the soil of your life is what you're going to get in return. So if you sow conflict, you're gonna get conflict. If you sow distrust, you'll get distrust. If you sow unfaithfulness, you'll get unfaithfulness. But if you sow care, if you sow compassion, if you sow unity, there's a different return, a different reaping, a different harvest. I told you there was an immediate context, but there's also a greater context. The chapter before in chapter five, Paul is speaking about the same thing, and you know it because he's using the same words of flesh and of spirit. Here's what he says in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Paul says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, let me tell you about one of the first fields that we sow into. And it's this field called flesh. And when you sow into the flesh, there's a certain outcome that happens. There's a certain predictable crop that comes. He says it's sexual immorality, idolatry, promiscuity, hatred, jealousy, anger, envy, drunkenness, dissension. I want to be very clear today. Don't miss this. Paul is saying your choices are like farming. And what you sow is what you're going to reap. If you sow in this particular field, there'll be certain things that come back. See, I've watched for many, many years on social media, maybe more than anywhere else, where people have sown such hatred, such anger, such frustration, that I'm not surprised by some of the things that we've reaped. I'm afraid that the result of some of the seeds of our words have actually taken root and manifested in the flesh. I know that there are seeds of lust and pornography that have been sown into the life of many of us, that have resulted in broken marriages and broken families. I know that some have been sowing the seeds of alcohol abuse and substance abuse into the fields of life and the harvest has been burnt bridges and dead end streets. See, for a lot of us, we've become statistics and Paul says, I'm warning you about these things as he writes. We will reap what we sow and ultimately the result of that sowing into the flesh is not the kingdom of God. But the good news, Paul says there's another field that you can sow into, and he speaks to it in Galatians 5, 21 through 23. Here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul says there's another field you can sow into, and it's the field of Spirit. And when you sow in this field, 
you will reap an abundance of all these things. Our choices are like farming. They have an outcome. When we sow love into the world, we receive love. When we sow peace, we reap unity and relationship. When we sow faithfulness, we reap character. When we sow self-control, we reap a, a life that is free of regret. So here's the question. What are you planting into the field that is your life? Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way. Sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. What this means is that our lives are largely a collection of decisions that we have made. And we find ourselves often in difficulties and struggles. We want to pass it off on someone else or pass it off as bad luck or just our lot in life. But oftentimes they are self-induced. And if that's the case, we can do something about it. If you've been sowing into a field that you don't want to sow into anymore, here's the good news. You can plow that field up and you can sow differently for a different harvest. Do you hear me? Plow it up. Turn it over. Sow differently. Expect a different harvest. Do not be surprised by the things that you're harvesting within your life. So this morning, I want to introduce us to four simple questions that I think can help us alleviate some of these difficulties. I think they can help us beat the odds. I think these four questions, if we take them honestly, they can help us live a life that is full like Jesus intends. Here's the first question. What will grow from what I am planting? If you were to take an honest look at the way you live your life, what you are sowing, what you are planting now, what will grow from it? Take it out with the trajectory into the future. What were, where will it end? What will it grow? Based upon where you spend your time, the people you spend time with, how you spend your money, what you post, what you speak, what is the ultimate harvest? What will grow here? Because sometimes what we will reap will be immediately obvious. We will know if that decision was foolish or if it was wise right away sometimes. But sometimes we won't. Sometimes we won't know from the decision we made for years down the road what it means and what will grow from that planting. You see, with strawberries, when we plant them in the field, these strawberry plants, they'd actually grow and produce fruit for five to six years before you had to plant a new one. In fact, when we would plant a strawberry plant in the ground, even though they would produce some fruit the first year, we would not pick them until the following year. That means when you plant these first plants, it was a year and a half before you ever were picking in the field. For people to come and buy and enjoy the ripe berries, it was a year and a half. You see, some decisions we make that are really, really wise we get discouraged when it's not making a difference in six months. It might be years down the road before you see that good decision come to fruition. But the same thing is true in the opposite. Sometimes when we think we're getting away with something, with these foolish decisions, you may not see it come to fruition. It may not be a harvest for years down the road. It is a process. And where sometimes we start with a certain thought and we don't kill the thought right there, that thought eventually grows and becomes something different. The book of James puts it this way, very soberingly. He says, but each one is tempted when his own evil desire is lured away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. When we live a life without concern, that is a life that should be concerned. When we gamble with our decisions, when we roll the dice, oftentimes it doesn't end well. Single decisions can have long-term impact. Our future is formed by our actions in the present. Choose wisely. 
Second question, who will eat the fruit of my decision? Who will ultimately eat the fruit of this decision? Who will be the one that will actually harvest from this particular sowing? Because sometimes it won't be you. It may be somebody else. When we plant these strawberry plants, they'd be planted in their own individual rows. And so you'd have them in a row here and a row here and a row here. But as these plants would grow and they would become bigger, they'd be there for multiple years, they would actually grow what are called runners. I want to show you a picture of this. These are called runners. They would leave the original plant, the original row. They would grow into other rows around them, produce fruit in these other places. Now, if you're a farmer, that's wonderful. But if you're making bad decisions, that's horrible. Because sometimes the decisions you make are not decisions that are going to affect you and you alone. Do you understand this? Your, your decisions may have uh, impact far beyond you. Your children may be the ones who actually harvest the, from the decision that you've made. You may have sown something that your spouse is the one who's actually harvesting from. Maybe your workplace. Maybe certain friendships. It is possible that there may be generations that you will never, ever see who will still be paying for or harvesting from something that you sown years ago. We must live wisely. Who's going to eat the fruit of my decision? Third, how do I respond to other people's choices? I'm not too naive to know that in the room there are many who found yourself in a certain situation you're in that's not good, that's not healthy, that's not wonderful. And it's not a choice that you made. It was a choice that someone else made. Someone else did this thing and it put you in this bad situation. And you found yourself now angry and bitter, frustrated, dysfunctional, whatever it might be. But I would argue that the choices that you make, the way you respond to the choices someone else made is a sowing within itself. And if you're going to plant from a place of bitterness, plant from a place of anger, of frustration, of dysfunction, the harvest still may not be the harvest that you want. It is very important that we do the hard work of allowing ourselves to heal from anything that's been done to us before we ever make decisions that could possibly cause us harm in the future. Who's going to eat the fruit from our decision and how do we respond to other people's decisions around us? The last question but I think is very important and very important for today. What am I allowing to be sown into my life? What am I allowing to be sown into my life? You see, your life is a field. We have to be careful of the seeds we allow into our hearts. Very practically, this might mean turning off the news. This might mean getting off social media. This might mean distancing yourself from certain friendships that you've had for a very, very long time, but it's the right thing to do. This might mean restricting yourself from that website. This might mean clearing out that bar cabinet. Being very careful of the seeds that we allow to be sown within our hearts because they will reap a harvest. This is the headwaters of bad decisions. It starts right here. That's why Proverbs also says this, guard your heart above all else for it's the wellspring of life. Everything flows from here. So guard your heart from toxic people, toxic media, substance. It's your choice. I want to end here. In Galatians chapter 6, there's a quick line that Paul says at the very beginning that I think is very important. He says this, God will not be mocked. Make no mistake, Paul says, God will not be mocked. 
I don't think this is some kind of snide remark that Paul's trying to say just to you know, dig the knife into somebody that he wants to get back at it's in the congregation somewhere. That's not his goal. He's saying God will not be mocked because God has created the world to function and to move in a certain kind of way. And so ultimately, every single one of us, we have the opportunity to live in line with the created order or live in rebellion against the created order. And each one of those things have consequences. There'll be a harvest from each one of those decisions that we make. The instruction given to us within the scriptures is not meant to punish us or ruin our lives. In fact, it's meant to do the exact opposite. When we make bad choices, sometimes there are natural consequences. And Paul says, God will not be mocked. When you don't invest in your marriage, there's a tendency that it dies. When you max out your credit cards, there's a tendency to have financial trouble. When you lie to people, you lose trust. When you refuse to forgive, our hearts grow hard. And so God offers us these principles to help us experience a full life. See, when I talk to my kids, I have certain rules in our house, and they're rules for a reason. I say, don't touch the stove, not because I want to ruin my child's life, but because I don't want them to burn their hand. We just went into a new house, and the stairs are very dangerous. When I say to them, be careful when you run down the stairs, I'm not saying it because I want to hurt them or harm them. I'm saying it because I want them to be able to survive coming from upstairs to downstairs. They're principles. You see, in the Bible, a, a verse that I've lived by for so long, and almost every conversation I've talked to with students for years, this has been the verse that's been in my head. It's John 10.10 10, that says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief, the evil one, Satan himself comes to make you a statistic. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. The odds are not stacked in our favor, people. There's, there's one who is walking around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what we're up against. Here's what Jesus says but I have come to give them life and to have it to the fullest. The principles of God are motivated by love. The ways that God speaks to us and the principles he gives us within scripture over the next few weeks as we unpack these, these are given to us because of a love that God has for us to experience a full life, every single one of us. Not to ruin our lives, but to give us life and life to the full. And so this morning, my encouragement is this. Maybe today, as we've talked through all this, you're like, man, I've been sowing in the wrong field for a long time. I've got good news. Plow that field up. Sow differently. Expect a different harvest. Sow into spirit, not into flesh. And expect God to do great things.